Happy New Year and welcome back to Prognosis Ohio. I'm Dan Skinner. On today's episode, I talk with Greg Moody of OSU's John Glenn School of Public Affairs. Moody's likely somebody who's well known to many, if not most of our listeners, for his really important work during the Kasich administration as director of the governor's Office of Health Transformation. Today, at the Glenn School, Greg's doing some really interesting work on the idea of nonpartisan leadership, including in healthcare. We talk about that and a bunch of other topics in the conversation, looking back at some previously critical moments in our state's recent history and reflecting a little bit today in terms of where we are in relation to those moments. What could be more productive at the beginning of a new year? Since it's just after the new year and we're still getting up and running, we're going to jump right into the conversation today without any other segments or updates. We'll be returning to the Things You Need to Know segment in the next episode. But let me just remind you to please check out our show notes at prognosisohio.com and wcbe.org under the podcast experience tab. And please, if you can, we'd love your support for just a few bucks a month at Patreon. You can get there by clicking through to the links on our website. And just as important, just tell your friends about the show and consider reviewing us in your podcast app. All of this adds up in a big way for us. Okay, now to my conversation with Greg Moody. Greg Moody, thanks so much for being on the show. Happy to be here. Good morning. So, you know, two parts today. I, I wanted to talk with you about some of your current work at, at the Glenn School, and we'll get to that. But I want to start, I always find it really useful in talking about health and healthcare in Ohio to do some reflecting work. And I, 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 it's my view that we don't, uh, we, we don't do enough of this sometimes. So having you here in my dining room, thanks for being here in Grandview. You know, reflecting on your time heading up Governor Kasich's Office of Health Transformation, I wonder if you could just you know, reflect on that work a little bit today. And maybe we can just start by having you tell listeners what it was so that they, you know, just to make sure we're all, um, you know, in sync here. Sure, sure. Well, it was it was meaningful work. And as I think back on it, which I do often, you know, uh, I feel proud of the effort that that went into that. Um, it was an interesting time because in 2010, uh, there was a lot of difficulty in the economy, which then, of course, plays out directly into health programs like Medicaid, uh, which covers low-income Ohioans. So as Governor Kasich was coming into office, we knew there were some challenges. So from day one, we were in a reform mindset, and it was all hands on deck for about a year, trying to essentially stabilize the program under those conditions. And that we were successful in doing that then, I think, set the stage to consider some more uh, kind of innovative reforms. And then ultimately the Medicaid expansion, which I think was the signature event of that of that administration. So, you know, we have wonks and non-wonks among our listeners. Can you just tell us what was the main kind of overarching goal of this office? Like what, you know, for the layperson, what were you trying to do to health care? Sure. Well, government tends to organize things around specific topics. So you have a Department of Aging, you have a Department of Mental Health, you have a Department of Medicaid that pays health care bills. But individual people experience their health care as a whole person and often have to find themselves going from one place to another to meet all of their needs. What Governor Kasich's insight was was that these organizations should work together and try to provide an array of services organized around the whole person. So Governor Kasich created the Office of Health Transformation that I headed up, and that group of agencies worked together as a team 
to try to realign state services uh, to support the whole person. Uh, it's a simple idea, uh, hard to do. Yeah, uh, but it was uh, but it was fun doing it. Yeah, I remember at that time, coordination was the big word everywhere. Trying to get different entities to coordinate. You know, people, for example, dual eligibles, so called people who are eligible for Medicaid and Medicare. It turns out to be an extremely tricky policy question, and I know Governor Kasich talked about that a good deal as well. That, that's right, and. And it's some of the kind of worst image people have of government where you have to go to one window for one thing and then across the hall to another window for another thing, when really we have the capacity to integrate that and make it a seamless experience for individuals. And that that was always the goal. You, You can't see this because I'm using my hands, but our mission statement was we don't want this where things are going in opposite directions. We want things to come together and connect um, that it was as simple as that, you know, kind of, kind of the, the Franz Kafka model of, you know, having to go from one office to the other and, and being told, you know, no, you need the other form. No, you have to call this person. You call that person. They say, call the same person who just sent you to them. These kinds of like, you know, circular sort of experiences. And imagine doing that when you don't feel well. Right. So let's get into it. You know, as you reflect, what did you accomplish and do well, and what are some things you left on the table that you wish you'd gotten to? Um, you know, and kind of how do you look back on that work in a sort of objective way? Sure, sure. Well, and I, I have to go back because um, the circumstances were very difficult when we came in, and I would never wish a budget deficit on any governor. But because we had a budget deficit, we had to make reforms. So we actually had strong support in the legislature. Um, The media that was covering this issue understood we had to change. The Medicaid program at the time was growing about 12% every year, which was just not sustainable. So that let us take on some really difficult challenges, taking money out of nursing homes and moving it into home and community-based care, which is where people prefer receiving services. Uh, taking a look at the mental health system, which had been deinstitutionalized, but really resources were not provided in the community to support that system. So how do we build that up? We were just talking about going door to door. Uh, We did not have an online eligibility system. So how do you turn that on so you can get connected to care online instead of having to wait in line down at the county office? So all of those we took on in that first year, and it was critical because if Medicaid had been growing the way it had been, I'm not sure expansion would have been an option. But the reforms I just described got spending down to about 3%. That was very manageable. And it opened the path for the next set of work, which was really focused on expanding coverage. You had limited time, too. I mean, you were in this office for almost the full run of the Kasich administration, if I remember. I mean, you left a little bit towards the end there. That's right. And actually, we had 10 years. And the reason we had 10 years, and again, I give Governor Kasich a lot of credit, before he even made the decision to run for governor, he assembled a policy team to ask the questions, do we have ideas that are worth running for governor? And he reached back to a team that worked together in 1990 on the House Budget Committee, pulled them together again, and said, what are we going to do? So on day one, we actually had a pretty strong list of things we wanted to do, And then, as you say, we were fortunate to have an entire eight-year period of time to work on it. 
with the pandemic now, I mean, obviously, you know, we, we've had uh, Rick Hodges, who was, uh, you know, headed up ODH sure. for a, a while there uh, during the Ebola scare, I guess I'll call it. I don't know if there's another word. It was a bit briefer than, than the situation we've had with the pandemic. But Rick, you know, reflected a little bit on that response. Let me put it two ways. What do you wish you knew back then that you know now with the pandemic in hindsight? And would it, would it have changed anything about where your priorities were or how you thought about transforming health? Yeah. Well, Rick and I worked together through that period. Yeah. And it was, um, um, it was, uh, strong preparation for what came next related to the pandemic, but the pandemic was just on such a different scale. And on your question of kind of what, what the effect was and what you wished you had known, it really shined a light on the vulnerable parts of our system. Mm -hmm. um, and again, we were talking about how things work to be better when they're connected. What it did was expose that a lot of our system is not connected and it's not equally accessible to everyone. So for example, quality in nursing homes was a spotlight uh, was shown on that issue. Some communities don't have access uh, in the same way as other communities to healthcare. Um, issues like that that had been there and folks were working on them, but it really put a spotlight on it in a way that made it a front and center public health issue to address. The, the one thing I think we did learn too was investments prior to a crisis really pay off. So some of the changes we made in response to Ebola then really paid off because that infrastructure was in place for the pandemic. So always looking ahead to what investment you can make to be prepared for what's next. That, that is the mission of public health. Yeah, yeah. One of the biggest developments, maybe the biggest uh, during the Kasich administration was Medicaid expansion. You talked about it a little bit and, and it's a complicated question, but in some ways it's not a complicated question. It seemed for the governor, uh, at least in his public statements, you know, he called it a matter of life and death. I mean, it was kind of a moral question at a certain point, but also huge budgetary consequences and a, a big deal. I guess I, I want to talk to you a little bit about that. You know, why did you pursue Medicaid expansion? Was was it hard? Did you have to convince Governor Kasich at all to go down this road? Because, you know, this was he had to take on his own party at certain moments in ways that were a little bit ugly politically. And and has it turned out as you had hoped? You know, has, has it delivered on its promise? Yeah. And as I think back, it was interesting because when the governor took office, there was a federal mandate to expand Medicaid. And that's that period of time when Medicaid was growing 12% and we were afraid it could swamp the system. So there were concerns. The reforms cleared the path to be able to consider the expansion. So then when the Supreme Court made that voluntary for states, it was an option for the governor to consider. Um, and I remember very clearly the meeting where I remember the decision was made and watching the governor process it, to me, it was about a 90-second process where what we talked about was how some Ohioans now had a benefit at higher incomes related to the federal exchange for health insurance, and some Ohioans at very low levels of income had access to nothing at all. And that inequity and that issue of justice that then the governor had authority to remedy, for him, that was a pretty quick decision. And you know then, as he himself became an expert on the topic, he became one of the primary national advocates for the expansion. 
and was critical in the process to kind of hold back when Congress was considering a repeal and replace of the law. I think Governor Kasich's leadership in that discussion uh, made a direct difference in the outcome. Well, and also, I mean, we've seen since then, state after state, kind of in a slow trickle. I mean, many of the people I know who are the you know Medicaid experts think that it's going to, you know, we'll get to 50 states eventually. It's just a matter of time. But I think uh, Governor Kasich being an early adopter of that probably gave license in a way to have this conversation a bit more for Republican governors that were still kind of, you know, dug in a little bit against the Obama administration, a little bit, a lot of it. And, um, you know, but also could look at this issue in terms of its effect on people. That's right. You know, we had a number of different ways in the state where, you know, behavioral health crisis, the opioid crisis, uh, which, you know, Senator Portman has talked to made that connection with Medicaid a lot. So there were a number of bipartisan opportunities there if you wanted them. That's right. And, you know, and one thing I would point out at that point in time, 2013 is when we expanded. Um, Governor Kasich was a Republican. We had a Republican House and a Republican Senate that understood a majority of Ohioans were for the expansion. And even though we ultimately accomplished it in a somewhat non-traditional way, we went to a committee of the legislature called the Controlling Board to get the authority The legislature would not have allowed that had they believed a majority of Ohioans were opposed to the expansion. So we were fortunate here in Ohio to be able to do something that clearly the majority supported through a legislature that had some concerns, uh, but through a process that worked. In other states, they have not had a similar process available to them. So what you see is Medicaid expansion going on the ballot. And everywhere it has, it's been approved. Mm -hmm. It's a popular program um, for the population, and it requires the ballot initiative in some places to get it uh, past concerns of state legislatures. Yeah, we now know in the literature just how many lives were saved or approximately, you know, and, and just the overall effects. And they're not only health effects, sometimes they're relieving somebody of, a, of, of medical concern so that they can maybe use their scarce economic resources for paying their bills or, or relieving themselves of some other debt. So it really takes kind of holistic thinking. And it seems to me that that's sort of at the center of how the Office of Health Transformation had to think about things. You can't just think about one office. You have to think about kind of all the different pieces on the uh, of the puzzle. And that's right. And, and Governor Kasich, you know, approached the state as a CEO. So he was focused on economic impact and the role of access to health care is a critical component to that. Mm-hmm. Um, probably the most humbling thing for me from the whole experience, because I had this great opportunity in the role um, to be in a lot of communities and talk to a lot of people. And after the expansion, it was very seldom I would be in public when somebody wouldn't come up to me and say, hey, you know what? I didn't even know I had a condition. I went on Medicaid. I went to primary care. I was diagnosed with this condition, and now I'm receiving treatment. Um, the number of stories kind of along those lines um, has has an impact. And uh, it, it was the most meaningful signet, single policy activity I think I've ever been involved in. As I read about the office and its work, it strikes me that a lot of the work you did was really about aligning kind of systems for healthcare access and kind of more on the healthcare side of things. 
What about public health? Where does that need to fit, fit into that bigger picture? Yeah, well, you're exactly right. The, the, the name was intentional because it was about improving health outcomes. And our philosophy, if you want to call it that, what, what often happens in government is public health gets defined as a regulatory function, um, making sure restaurants are safe. Um, but the spirit of public health is the overall health and well-being of a person. So we elevated that to the primary consideration for our work. And then everything else had to support it. So the financing piece had to support it. The policy piece had to support it. So that, that, was, that was very intentional. Um, you know, so much of this comes down to money and how you resource issues. And in the United States, we really do get what we pay for. We pay for disease. So we end up with a lot of expensive care. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe less of a focus on paying for health and some of the things upstream that if we invest in, we can really avoid unnecessary high costs later. And healthcare is filled with examples where if you provide the care where people prefer it, you actually avoid cost. We talked about home and community versus nursing home care. We talked about behavioral health in the community instead of defaulting to, uh, to a jail or to the emergency department. Um, healthcare is filled with examples that if you do the right thing at the right time, uh, it's better for the individual and you potentially save money. Now, the office doesn't exist anymore. Is that right? That's correct. So, so what about the public health piece? I mean, we just had a pandemic. Um, there, there's probably lots of lessons learned. We probably learned some new things about coordination and some of the issues right in there. Um, you know, should we be thinking about something like, you know, in that spirit that you had where we need now to take a next step? I mean, it, it occurs to me that you were also interim director of uh, a jo- um, job and family services. That's correct. So you've seen that side of things too. I mean, is is the goal now to just you know, get those pieces in place for healthcare access and all the different systems and then move on to a more holistic way of thinking about public health, just health generally, and even changing that language, that frame. Yeah. 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 And you mentioned job and family services, just a personal note. That was one of the great learning experiences I've ever had because I was teamed up with Joanne Davidson, Mm -hmm. former speaker of the house, uh, to basically kind of, um, stabilize a department that, that was having, having some challenges. In my experience, whenever you coordinate, align, organize across boundaries, it opens up a solution set that is more creative, more expansive, potentially more impactful. But I also understand that in public service, you know, you're, you're in there for a role and you have your time and you perform as well as you can. And then a new team has their time. So I'm always very careful about kind of judging or criticizing what you know, another team is doing. But I think who, whoever's in charge, being mindful of how you build teams around complexity uh, is just going to generate better results. So let's just turn for a bit to talk about your work right now at, at Ohio State University at the Glenn School. You're doing this work on nonpartisan leadership, particularly in healthcare. I have to be honest, you know, I, I often find that the word leadership kind of falls into a little bit of buzzword territory. You know, there's really good leadership work being done, and then there's kind of virtue signaling leadership, you know, lots of uh, self help books, things like that, and you know, big money consultant speakers and such. How do you focus your work on leadership in ways that are really plugged into what actually happens in public service? Yeah. 
Well, I, I grew up in New Concord, Ohio, by the way. So from the earliest age, my kind of sense of public service was Senator John Glenn, who was from New Concord, Ohio. Right. And so now that I'm at the Glenn College, it, it just it feels it feels right. And maybe the best way to answer your question is just say, give a couple examples of what we do. Um, so we provide training for about 3,200 public employees a year, state, city, county. A lot of those trainings are one-day skill-based trainings on a topic that just helps them do their job better. So is that leadership directly? No, but hopefully it's a skill set that then enables them to get to the next step in what they want to do in their public service. So that's one example. Another example, um, we have a, my favorite program. We call it the Public Leadership Academy, where we invite, uh, we, we bring 12 Republicans, 12 Democrats who were recently elected for either county government, their mayors, uh, we have school board members, we have state representatives. They come together to live together for five days on the OSU campus in the summer just to get to know each other. It's, it's that simple. Yeah. And we focus on topics they have in common. Uh, and particularly early in their elected career, it gives them a sense of what it might be like to work together. Um, that's the kind of programming that I think it doesn't have to be whatever your terms are, right, left, red, blue, Republican, Democrat. It's leadership for public service. And, and the focus on service, I think, is, is the key. But at the same time, you know, of course, and it's nice that you do that because our political lives are really, really rough right now, right? We have a lot of partisan tensions that just seem to diffuse um, really good ideas. It's funny, you know, students come to me and others I work with and say, like, don't we have an idea to solve this problem? And I always tell them, we have tons of ideas. There are super smart people. And Ohio is kind of like, sometimes I, I feel like Ohio is this, um, you know, kind of promised land state where we have so many smart people and we're all staring at like real progress and yet it gets cut off early right drawing on your years of public service how, how do you help them navigate these political worlds i mean do you have one or two kind of pearls that you share with them for you know things that you've learned yeah i wouldn't claim that um you know you do the work you yeah. do the work and and you, you do the work and it connects. It doesn't connect. You get another chance to connect. You know, I'm, I'm an optimist in this territory. And I have to be because I have kids who are getting ready to go into the world. Um, a, a daughter and a son around college age. And, you know, through their eyes, I see much of what's going on as kind of this demographic shift that we haven't completely adjusted to yet. And when you're going through one of those, it, it is pretty messy, uh, trying to understand the impact of social media. How are our institutions meeting our needs or failing what we need them to do? Um, but on the other side of it, I think there are always solutions and I think people find them. And so I'm actually optimistic that, yeah, it looks a little bare knuckle right now in the political arena. But this last election also indicated to me there's a limit to that and people get tired of that fight just for the fight's sake. And at some point, I think, really do want to cast their vote or spend their time towards something that is a real solution. Yeah, I've often wondered, uh, you know, talk to legislators or, um, you know, public health folks in the state, 
and they're frustrated. They're, they're, they're tired. They're, you know, they, they don't necessarily know how to accomplish what they want to accomplish. And sometimes uh, their best efforts just kind of get thrown back at them. And I, I often wonder, you know, when we look at some of the data, you know, and, um, you know, lots of different organizations, Health Policy Institute of Ohio, Community Solutions, like we, we know a lot of what the outcomes are in our state. And I often wonder about shame. I often wonder about sadness, you know, just whether that can be leveraged to bring people together across partisan lines in some ways. Because I know I'm kind of, I, I went through a big period of my life where I was mad a lot. And now I'm just sad a lot. And I actually find it, you know, it's not going to solve the problem, but it's almost a better place to be to build relationships from. Is there anything in there? Yeah. And I mean, that's, we, we all had kind of our personal journey through what happened with the pandemic and how it coincided with some of the politics. And, you know, I think crisis brings people together. 9-11 brought people together. Crisis brings people together. My biggest concern from the pandemic was it was a crisis not of our choosing that had the potential to bring us together. And not only as a country, but kind of a global sense of we've got this. Mm -hmm. And in many ways, that did occur. In many very important ways, sometimes viscerally at the community level, neighbor to neighbor, it opened up some differences between us. And so that's what I reflect on there, um, that these big complex problems, that the only way through them is to be together. How do we make sure we keep ourselves in a position that that's, that's what we're doing? That, that's, that's our chosen response. You mentioned before the importance of kind of majority support, you know, when you actually ask people, shocker, right? Ask people, what are their issues? What are their concerns? You know, it sounds like Governor Kasich was keenly attuned to this during the Medicaid expansion uh, uh, years, too. Um, you know, and, and of course, there's gerrymandering. There's questions of democratic responsiveness in Ohio and other states. But there's also industry. There's also sort of powerful lobbies and other forces that you kind of contend with. And as I talk to physicians, for example, who are interested in getting involved in policy or I'm trying to you know, convince students to buy into some of this and believe that something's possible, that kind of stuff really shuts them down fast. That kind of makes them feel like, you know, I mean, like take, for example, the nursing industry or, you know, the hospital associations or these very large, well-funded entities, pharmaceuticals, right? Um, how do you plug that into the leadership kind of framework and keep people believing that it's worth getting up and doing this work? Do the work. You just have to do the work. So, yeah, you're talking about really complex territory there, you know, and I've been around long enough. I can pretty confidently say it's always been that way. And there has to be accountability in the system. And the accountability can come from the policymakers. Mm -hmm. I feel like Governor Kasich and his team was a good partner with those providers because we held them accountable, but we were fair creating an environment where they could do their job. The gap right now is media accountability. Because when the Office of Health Transformation started, every week I was regularly briefing maybe 12 investigative reporters about our work, and now there are none. So there is something about kind of that third party looking in to see how things are going that is missing right now, which makes the accountability of policymakers to have some compass or some North Star they're following, I think, particularly critical right now. 
The other thing I'd say is, and it's back to, you know, the observation about you get what you pay for. The current system is designed to protect spending a lot at the end of a healthcare process when disease has shown itself and people are in the most critical condition. The natural tendency is to protect the system as it exists currently. The solution there is to turn that on its head so we're paying money up front to keep people well and then let those same providers kind of fight with each other, compete with each other to perform in that space. So really it's about setting the rules of competition in a way that we get what we want, which is health, not that we get what we're currently defaulting to, which is high cost disease at the end. I'm really glad you brought up journalism and it may be a nice place to kind of just reflect on toward as we you know wrap up here. You know, I remember I mean, dur- during your time with the Office of Health Transformation, that's when the pharmacy benefit manager, uh, the big reporting out of the dispatch happened, right? And, and really that issue, which is still an issue and still something that deserves a lot of attention, came to the foreground. I mean, there are going to be things. Um, that are going to, you're going to have to respond to despite whatever agenda you might have. But when we look around the state, you're right. The, the, the beat reporters are fewer and fewer. There's some new media that have arisen to try to fill that hole. And it's going to take some time because the, you know, the, the Cincinnati Inquirer, the Cleveland Plain Dealer, and the, you know, the big, the big papers, the Columbus Dispatch, you can't just replace them with a website overnight. There needs to be a real sort of culture shift of reading and, and, um, and support and f- financing and all that. I mean, is there a leadership question also for health reporting for the kind of um, journalistic practices and unearthing and investigative reports? Like, does that have a function to play that really can't be replaced by anything else? Yeah, there's definitely a need for it. And, you know, in our discussion of how we're in this kind of somewhat chaotic transition from kind of how things have been to where they're going to be, there is a missing piece of third party accountability. Um, One solution would be to rehabilitate that back into kind of the media sphere. Um, But, you know, I'm not an expert in that space and I'm not sure that's possible. Right. Um, Or you supplement it and you provide the accountability in some other way and government is designed to hold folks accountable for um you know the relationship folks have to policy and and public resources so i do think it's a process we're going through where we're only realizing wait a second i used to read headlines about a provider that was doing something wrong and that helped government respond without the headline Who's now providing the information you need to be able to take that action? That, that's, 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 I will agree with you, it's a problem. Uh, and I wouldn't presume to think I know what the solution is. Last question on the leadership piece. So let's say we, you know, we have a, a deeper bench of people who are really committed to working across party lines uh, to solve problems. What are a couple issues in the healthcare space that you just you think are kind of ripe for the picking there, low-hanging fruit, things that we can start to work together on that actually can gain traction. I'm not talking about Medicare for all, and I'm not talking about uh, block-granting Medicaid or something like that. Like, what, what, is, what are some issues that you think about, some areas that you think work can be done productively? Yeah, and I don't want to sound the same, same note, but I think anything we want to do is going to be harder 
until the rules of the game are that we're paying for health outcomes. So I would put on any reform agenda at the very top, continuing to modify how we pay to actually pay for the things we want to see. We want to see collaboration. We want to see early interventions. We want to see health before we have disease. So for me, that that would always be number one. So the, the value movement the value. In, in healthcare. A, ab- yeah. Absolutely. Um, and that's primarily primarily a financing strategy. The the other thing in healthcare is you always have to have two strategies. You have to have how do you pay for it? And value is that access to coverage, making sure access to coverage remains affordable. That has to be a component. But then on the other side, on the delivery system side, the ability to integrate care around the individual and have that a seamless experience, wherever that is the worst off, that should be your first priority. So that kind of delivery system reform around coordination. Um, And at all of it, public health has to be the headline, not the kind of regulatory afterthought. Um, How are we improving health outcomes, period? How have our systems disadvantaged specific groups based on income or race that we need to adjust that system so we really have equity of access for all Ohioans? That. That should always be the priority. Well, Greg, thanks so much for taking some time to talk with me uh, on this uh, nice Friday morning. And uh, thanks for your service to the state. You've been doing, you know, you've been at this for a while in a bunch of different, really important ways. And it's an honor for me to get a chance to just kind of pick your brain about, you know, what it all means. So thank you. Well, every day of that service has been a pleasure, uh, as was this conversation. I really enjoyed it. So thank you. Thank you. This episode was produced by me, Dan Skinner. I received editorial and production support from Angela Lynn. Don't forget to check out our show notes, which has a lot of really good background information for today's conversation. It's at prognosisohio.com and wcbe.org. Prognosis Ohio is a member of the WCBE Podcast Experience and the Health Podcast Network. As always, get in touch with us if you have ideas for guests, topics, or ways we can improve the show. We're fine hearing the critical stuff in addition to the praise, I assure you. In the meantime, we wish you well and thanks for listening.